Um, so one of the reasons we love owning and selling our own products is because we can um, pick and choose which glasses are going to be produced. We have a lot of control over the quality of the glasses, um, and we're not competing with the exact same product um, with 100 other companies. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. This episode is brought to you by Remarkety. Remarkety is an email marketing platform specifically built for e-commerce businesses. With Remarkety, emails are automatically triggered by shopper behavior and purchase history. With a few simple clicks, Remarkety allows you to recover abandoned carts, win back inactive customers, make product recommendations, deliver newsletters, and a whole lot more. In other words, emails you will send through Remarkety will be highly targeted with glaring improvements on your open rates, click rates, and most importantly, conversions. You're also able to track revenue generated from every single email sent by Remarkety. Try Remarkety absolutely free for 30 days, no credit cards, and no contracts. To sweeten the deal, 2x e-commerce listeners can get Remarkety for 30% off an entire year using the coupon code PODCAST30. That is coupon code podcast three zero visit remarkity.com to learn more remarkity is email marketing for e-commerce simplified i'm excited to introduce today's guest they're a husband and wife team that run an e-commerce business called one click ventures now one click ventures owns and operates three eyewear brands they're based in indiana in, in the united states in the midwest um the three eyewear brands they own are readers.com felix plus iris and sunglass warehouse they started their business from their home office back in 2005 so about 10 years ago and now have a 60 plus person strong team now, what strikes me about One Click Venture is that they're a business that passionately care about two key important people, their team and their customers. One Click Ventures has been recognized as one of the best places to work in in Indiana for four consecutive years. And their employees, as a result, not only treat their customers with dignity and empathy, but also customer happiness is intrinsic as a company value. So if you're an e-tailer that has been in business for about two to four years or even an e-commerce startup and would like to know what is required to build a long-lasting e-commerce brand that has your customers and employee happiness at its heart, then you should listen to this episode. Um, it shouldn't really not be missed. Hi guys, welcome to the show, Angie and Randy. Uh, and Randy, could you take thirty seconds or so to introduce yourselves, each, each of you, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Angie Stockland, and I'm the co-founder and COO of One Click Ventures. 
Um, I started out as a school psychologist and now I run operations at OneClick. Um, so I still use my degrees to an extent, but not exactly as planned. Um, and I co-founded the business with my husband, Randy, and I'll let him introduce himself as well. Hello, I'm, I'm Randy. I'm co-founder and CEO of OneClick. I, uh, I oversee the, the strategic direction of the business, the management of the senior leadership team. I'm, uh, I'm directly responsible for marketing, finance, and uh, technology. My background uh, is in technology where I served in a variety of technology roles for uh, Indianapolis-based uh, startup or Indianapolis-based technology and, and consumer companies. Interesting. So Angie is more business operations, being the CEO, customer service, order fulfillment, merchandising, and perhaps like vendor account management. And Andy, Randy, you're more visionary. You handle strategy, growth, tech, and marketing. Is is that kind of like the picture there? And, yes. And there's yeah. a, okay. So there's a good balance there. Okay. So so roughly, how old is the business? So we legally formed the business in 2005. Mm. We made our first acquisition, our first retail acquisition in, in 2006. And then by the end of 2008, Angie and I had both committed to the business full time. Interesting, interesting. And from your website and you know a few other online resources, uh, I heard you started out from your house. Is, is that correct um, in 2005? We did. We actually um, took our home office and made it kind of our headquarters. We acquired Sunglass Warehouse in early 2006. Okay. Um, it took over our whole top floor. Um, we worked out of our house for two solid years before we got office space, um, and we kept our full-time jobs as well um, in an effort to pour every penny that we made back into the business um, to help grow it. Absolutely. So when did you make your first hire? 2000, late 2007. Okay. Okay. And just you guys are based in Indiana, right? In in the, in the Midwest of the U.S. What about staff size now? What, how, how many staff? What's the size of, of of your company at the minute? Yeah, we we have around sixty uh, team members today. Wow. Wow. So in, in eleven years and in ten eleven years, you've been able to to grow to sixty. Okay. Um. Let's talk about one click ventures. Could you sort of summarize? what One Click Ventures is about because I have tracked your company um, back um, I think it was about two years ago or a year ago and um, we I think you, you didn't only sell sunglasses you, you were into other ventures could you kind of dis- the, just explain the, the evolution of the business from um, from sunglasses warehouse to, to what it is today please sure we, we as you as you mentioned we, we started with sunglasswarehouse.com in 2006 and then we we experimented with a variety of different dropship companies between 2006 and 2008 mm-hmm. and uh, and found that that we we were most comfortable with e-commerce businesses where we could control the entire customer experience so we wanted to control the, the customer service, we wanted to control fulfillment. Uh, so from that point forward, we focused on we focused our acquisition strategy around acquiring companies where we could own the entire customer experience. So that meant uh, building out a customer service team. That meant building out, continuing to build out our fulfillment team. Um, so from there, we we went into reading glasses, and then we went into a variety of accessories companies. So we sold hats. Scarves, socks, um, and and from 
from 2008 until 2013, uh, we were able to successfully execute that business model and, and, and continue to grow each of those brands as we acquired them and, and fold them into the portfolio. And then in 2013, we took a step back and said, okay, we can continue down this acquisition-driven path uh, or we can double down on the $25 billion eyewear market, uh, which is where we had had the most success with, with our marketing, with our customer service. We felt like we knew that customer better than any other customer in our brand portfolio. So, uh, so we made the decision in uh, late 2013 to focus exclusively on eyewear. And in doing so, that meant we would uh, divest all of our non-eyewear brands, which that included six brands at the time, because uh, we built a portfolio up to uh, eight core brands. And then from there, um, we would launch this prescription brand, Felix and Iris, and, and we would have the team uh, focused on selling and, and marketing eyewear. And, and that, that focus has been really good, and we've been happy, very happy with that decision. Interesting. Very laser focused on, on eyewear. Um, but let's track back into the acquisitions themselves. Um, so you, when you talk about acquisitions, did, did you buy out businesses or did you venture into markets acquiring new customers? Um, could you just expand a bit on the acquisitions and the specific acquisitions you made? So we did both actually. Um, several of the brands we started from scratch and so we saw an opportunity for instance in the scarf space um, scarves were really hot several years ago um, and and we looked at the market and decided that that was an opportunity that we wanted to take advantage of um, and it was something that was similar to our eyewear space so we could apply some of the same principles um, that we know about our customers from eyewear to scarves and so we bought a domain we got some inventory and we started that brand from scratch okay. um, there are other brands like fedoras.com that we acquired from um, someone that was just looking to get out of the business. So typically we looked for businesses that either weren't growing very well, they had and one owner or two owners that did it on the side and, and were looking to get out. Um, so we saw huge opportunities there to bring that brand in-house and apply it um, to our marketing team and our sophistication and really take off from there. Okay, okay, okay. That makes a lot of sense. And then um, by 2013, uh, you just honed in on on, on, on glasses in, in general, sunglasses and reading glasses. Okay, so you have three brands, readers.com, um, which are pretty much cheap prescription glasses, Felix plus Iris, or Felix and Iris, um, which are premium prescription personalized, try before you go, Warby Parker, um, the, the yeah, try before you go um, glasses, and then Sunglass Warehouse, which is cheap sunglasses, less than $20. Um, are you planning on expanding this portfolio more, or do you think you, you know, you've pretty much covered the market? So we love where we're standing right now in terms of the eyewear market. Um, one of the things that we're doing in 2016 is looking at readers.com and expanding that from just over-the-counter inexpensive reading glasses to a more premium offering. Um, so not the designer space, not the three or $400 readers that you would get from your optometrist, um, but more of the 90 to $100 readers that's going to last quite a while. It's going to be your staple reader. It's going to provide a little bit more value than just the over-the-counter $20 type. Um, so we're, we're looking at expanding our markets that way instead of adding brands to the portfolio. And how does Felix um, and Iris, the, the brand, how old? Yes. Uh, when, when was it founded? 
True, we just celebrated our one year anniversary. Well, okay, okay. So, so I, I notice um, from the domains like readers.com and Sunglasses Warehouse, um, those seem more generic. And then Felix and Iris seems very much like um, you know a, a brand in itself. Um, was there a reason um, for you naming it Felix and Iris, or? Um, uh, so back in the days of our transactional acquisition approach, we were really focused on getting customers to our site and converting them, which is why we have more um, functional domains like readers.com and sunglasswarehouse.com. Mm-hmm. But with Felix and Iris, we really set out to build a brand. Um, and we spent a lot of time and energy t- deciding what our brand would stand for. And Felix is actually one of the Latin words for happy and mm-hmm. Iris is the eye. Um, so Felix and Iris is essentially happy eyes. And we customers to have happy eyes once they shop with us. I like that. Okay. Right. Good stuff. And you're, you're 100% bootstrapped. Totally. Correct. Bootstrapped. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And at one point on the, the, the two other brands, so readers.com and sunglasswarehouse.com, the, the plan is to start some brand building activities around those two brands uh, late this year and into next year. So those those we, we fully intend to build brands around those two more transactional sites today. That's a that's a big initiative across the entire company right now is to make that happen. But our our time and attention up to this point has been focused more on the transactional side. But mm-hmm. moving forward, there's going to be a nice blend of transactional and brand building. And um, how do you intend to execute the brand building? Would it pretty much be via social media, video, or um, or both? The content marketing will will, will play a uh, an important role in our, in our overall strategy. So think about whether that's blog posts, whether that's videos, infographics. Uh, it's just getting out and, and putting a firm stake in the ground in in the market. So making sure that we're clearly differentiated, and then telling our story. And up to this point, we really haven't done a good job of that, but. Moving forward, we're we're going to be laser focused on executing around brand building for for both of those brands. Yeah, so very very good point. Because prior to to our interview, I was doing some research on on the brand, on your whole brand, the one click ventures, and um, I noticed the your focus on brand building. Really, um, you're telling your story from your homepage. Um, there's so much to learn about the company and your personality. And um, yeah, it was it was quite interesting as compared to just um, you know saying where where this corporate uh, I could actually you know fill a soul um, to 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 the company. Um, so, so yeah, so it's it's interesting. So so I guess that's going to sort of trickle down to to, to all the brands and and um, the kind of stories you tell on, on the website. So they're not just generics and they're, they're quite memorable, I suppose. Yeah, that's exactly right. We have this we have this dynamic culture. We have amazing people mm-hmm. and. We, we haven't we haven't told that story as part of our consumer facing brands at this point. So that's that's a real focal point for us right now. Yeah, and, and there's also there also seems to be quite a lot of focus on your team. Um, you you alluded to earlier that there are about sixty members of your team. Are they all based in Indiana or um, are they all over the world? No, they're they're all based in, in Indianapolis okay. today. Okay, because right, I could see um you know your Twitter page it's quite quite substantial you know, team size there. Okay, um is is what's importance of customer service um to to the company in itself um when what sort of percentage for for an e-commerce business if you've um, read 
um, Tony Shea's book on um, delivering happiness. Um, you know, customer service was quite intrinsic to the success of Zappos.com. What, what role does customer service actually play um, in, in, in one-click ventures and, you know, all the brands you, you, you sort of manage being a consumer-facing brand? It's a huge part of what we talk about every day. Um, and we look at customer service as more of a company-wide initiative. Um, so it's everything from our tech team keeping our websites up and running and loading quickly um, to our fulfillment team getting our products out the door correctly and, and quickly. And obviously our customer happiness team plays a huge part in that. We like to answer the phone really quickly. We, we have high expectations in terms of quality um, and customer satisfaction. Um, but we really have, over the last couple of years, made it a company-wide initiative to own, own customer happiness. Okay, good stuff. I, and I like the term customer happiness and customer services. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, let's talk strategy. How important is owning your brand um, versus stocking other brands, um, basically being merchandisers of other brands? And um, I just wanted to ask if at any point in time you, you ever um, stocked other brands and what your experience was like, because um, from, from what I could see, um, you pretty much own all your brands. Um, have, have you ever stocked other brands and what has been the experience, like if, if yes? We have, yes. So. Um when we owned our Fedora website, it was all other brands. We didn't have any um, private label or or our own brand of hats. Okay. Um, and it was it was very interesting. Um, I think in terms of advertising and marketing, because there were a lot of other companies selling those same brands, mm-hmm. um, and we had no control over the quality of the product or the trends that our companies that we were working with were going into. Um, so one of the reasons we love owning and selling our own products is because we can um, pick and choose which glasses are going to be produced. We have a lot of control over the quality of the glasses and we're not competing with the exact same product um, with hundred other companies. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and um, do you think there's, there's sort of um, space to play for people kind of like in the middle so companies kind of like in the middle where um, they stock other brands and they offer their brands as an alternative or do, do you think that um, distorts the the focus of of, um, of an e-commerce especially brand well our readers.com brand does sell a few other brands okay. um mainly brands that are a little bit more expensive so in the 80 to 150 dollar range and those are products that we haven't necessarily tried to produce ourselves. Um, so I can see some value in both, but I definitely think it's harder com- to compete when you're competing with the exact same products as everyone else. Interesting. Because um, price appears to be like the core value proposition for, for readers.com and Sunglasses, Sunglass Warehouse, sorry. Um, from a value proposition standpoint, do, do you think you could, well, well is, is, is that correct? And for, for, is, is that because that, that, that was my observation. Um, am I kind of on point, or um, are they other elements of your value proposition I, I have missed out on, on readers.com and um, Sunglass Warehouse? Yeah, for both of those brands, we, we, we view our value prop today around as being around selection and value. So value is that, that price-quality ratio. We're not the lowest-priced reading glasses and sunglasses brand uh, on, on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, but, but we, we offer a very compelling price point for the quality that we, 
uh, offer for our customers. Okay, I, I missed the, the two parts, which is selection and quality, because um, you selection know, you, and, and value, which selection is that. Selection and value, exactly. Um, quality okay um let's talk acquisition um do you sell in in marketplaces such as um ebay and, and amazon we, we we sell on amazon we've um we've dabbled in ebay we may have some listings on ebay but it would be at a very small scale but we've we've invested i would i would say heavily in amazon over the last uh, 24 months okay um what, what has been your experience um I, I read, yes, uh, Amazon, um, basically 43% of um, e-commerce transactional searches, product searches basically begin on Amazon. So, so there are more Amazon in the U.S. at least. Um, there are more Amazon, there are more, more people stats on Amazon for um, product searches as compared to, to Google or any other search engine. I think search engine is about 39%. What, what's been your experience with Amazon? The experience overall has been uh, positive. The, uh, I think the challenge with Amazon for certain product segments is that it's a uh, it's it's very much price driven. Mm. So uh, I would say much more so than, than a Google search. So a lot of times people you know start with price and then go to reviews. Uh, so for someone like ourselves who we don't necessarily we want to make sure that the entire experience is good for our customers. So we're investing in 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 in, in customer in the overall customer experience, um, and not just focused on how can we offer the lowest price on on a pair of sunglasses or readers. Sometimes that that doesn't play as well on the Amazon platform as it does in other on other platforms. Okay. 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 And, and I suppose there's there's also um, the bit of control that, that there's only there, there are only so many options um, Amazon will give you um, to to control the, the display of um, your your products on on, on their pages. And, um, yeah. So what about reviews on, on Amazon? Um, what uh, what's been your experience with regards to um, acquiring reviews? Have, have, have what kind of feedback have you got from from um, Amazon shoppers with with regards to reviews? We ship really quickly, um, and we make sure we always ship the right product, and so that definitely helps in terms of reviews. Um, for the most part, we we get really positive reviews, um, and on Amazon, if you don't get a positive review, it's really important to follow up with that customer and see what you can make right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you can't make them change their review, but you're hoping that uh, fixing the problem will change their mind. Okay. okay. For us, it's an extension of our of our overarching philosophy which is do whatever do whatever we possibly can to make sure that the customer's happy uh, getting back to your point around the way that customer service is viewed at a company like Zappos or or even you didn't mention this company but Nordstrom is another one of mm. the companies that we uh, that we talk a lot about internally so so that that philosophy exists whether it's selling through our own websites whether it's selling through Amazon we're approaching those those customer interactions in the exact same manner. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so that drives how you operate on, on Amazon rather than um, you know going by Amazon's terms. Okay. Let's talk. Let's track back to to your website to content marketing and um, you know fashion. Um, fashion is a very visual industry. It's it's visual in itself and. Um, my question has to do with visual marketing. Um, so, so how do, how important is 
our visuals um, to, 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 to you, especially in the consumer um, side of, of retail. Um, what, what are the sort of important elements? Of how do you view visual marketing? We, we, think it's, we think it's very important, and, and we think it's so important that we've, we've now had a full-time photographer on the team now for over four years. So uh, we have, uh, or maybe that, but it's, it's longer than that. It's longer than that. Longer yeah. than that. So that we, we've, we've, had a, we've had a full-time photographer from practically the very beginning. So all of the products that you see on our website, uh, those, those photographs are taken internally, okay. and uh, we, we, we write all of our own product descriptions because we think that's such an important element of the overall customer experience. Okay. And we also have um, UI and UX internally to make sure that not only are like, our graphics and our product photos beautiful, um, but that the customer has an enjoyable experience navigating through our site and that um, our design is clean and pleasing to the eye. Okay. And, and how often do you, do you refresh sort of the, the design and you know, the, the experience um, on, on your websites across the board, given you have an internal team, to, to full, you know, full-time internal team to, to manage all of this? So our experience is being refreshed all the time. Um, we focus heavily on conversion optimization, and we have tests running all the time. And, and usually they're pretty small tests, so um, a repeat customer isn't necessarily going to notice the changes. Um, but we'll do a full refresh of our design and our color palette every couple of years. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, can you really see the blend? Um, so there's a Columbus um, Day sale, and um, I'm on the homepage of um, Sunglass Warehouse, and um, I can see a really well-taken photograph of um, a pair of sunglasses with um, the horizon, seeing um, a hill or mountain on there, um, and it's looking towards the 40% off, um, which, which is quite interesting, and uh, there's a sales promo. Um, I actually followed one of your brands on, um, I actually follow one of your brands on Instagram, and you seem to be doing a, a great job with regards to the visuals there. Um, yeah, I, I, I personally think um, visual marketing is, is quite important in, in e-commerce, especially in, in fashion. Um, so, yeah, very, very good job. Well, one thing that, one thing that we're, we're going to do more of with readers in Sunglass Warehouse is we as we move toward this this brand building phase for, for those two brands, is work more lifestyle photography into those mm. brands, whether it's on the blog or that's on the, the, the site itself, um, the, the product facing site. So that's something to look out for. We we, we we committed to doing that with Felix and Iris at launch, and and, I, and I'm pretty pleased with how, uh, and I think the team's pretty pleased with how that turned out. But we want to do more of that readers in Sunglass Warehouse. Yeah, talking about lifestyle. Um Images. One woman that really stands out um, to, to to mind on Instagram is um, is Herschel, the the company, the um, the bags and um, accessories company. They just do a fantastic um, you know job of that. Um, with regard to lifestyle um, images. Okay. What, what's the what's, what's Her- the brand again? Herschel. Um, it's H E R S C H E L. Herschel Supply. I think they're based in Canada. They're, they're on Instagram. I'll share. I'll share a link to their Instagram on the show notes. They're they're just amazing with regards to. So they 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 they've mapped out all their personas basically, um, their customer personas, and um, they just put inspirational, aspirational photographs. You know, um, lifestyle photographs on, on their Instagram feed. Travel, just around travel, especially. And you know, you know those 
um, photos, celebrities, or you know, those, um, or um, fashion websites where they um, you know put what they're packing, you know, what's in my bag. Photographs they do that a lot. Um, with regards to like a face cap, you know, headphones, your iPhone, you know, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'm just on their page right now, just looking. Quite interesting, anyway. Um, yeah, it just seems like Instagram. What What are your thoughts on Instagram um, versus Facebook versus Pinterest? Those are like the three major, you know, um, image marketing um, platforms out there right now. Um, what Where do you think um, retailers, online retailers like yourself, um, would um, to see the most opportunity? Currently, we use Instagram for more brand awareness. Okay and trying to get people engaged because it's easier to talk to people on Instagram and Twitter than Facebook. Facebook's a little more difficult. Mm. We seem to have a lot of followers, but not a lot of engagement, um, whereas Twitter and Instagram are a little easier, I think, to do that. Um, so I, I look at Twitter as more like real-time news and engagement with customers, uh, and Facebook is, is a little bit more like, hey, this is what's new, or um, this is the product that was just released, or this is our sale that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in all three, and we probably haven't dug quite deep enough yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pinterest is another another place where we're having some success um, with. We've just been doing promoted pins, and that's been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, what in, with, with social? You know, um, I think every social media platform now has a buy button. Um, how, what do you think the role of search engines are going to play in businesses over the next three to to five years? going forward we've been battling search engines since we started in 2005 and I don't mean that in a bad way but it's always a constant um, Google is our friend or our enemy depending on the day um, and as as much as we try to diversify our portfolio and, and get customers in other ways I think that for us search engines have still been a huge part in our success And so I don't look for that to diminish quickly, um, especially because our audience may not, you know, go to the social platforms quite as much as the millennials or as fast as the millennials. Um, They're on there and they're especially on Facebook, um, but they may not interact with the social media platforms as much as the millennials. Um, So I still see search engines playing a big role in what we do, but we'll definitely take any opportunity that comes our way in terms of diversifying our customer acquisition strategies. Okay. We've been working extremely hard uh, this year, and it's going to continue to be a, uh, a focus for us next year in experimenting with with other marketing channels, uh, and that even and that includes some of some traditional media like radio and television and and other things. So we don't have the the plan hammered out just yet, uh, but we're certainly going to continue to experiment more than we than we ever have in the past. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. Um, I'm on your website now, on your homepage. You've been featured on Today, Wall Street Journal, Travel and Style People, Red Book, you name it. Um, what impact has the press? And you actually have a press contact um, on the media at um, on, on, on clickventures.com. Um, what, what, what impact has the press actually played? Has it driven more um, sort of brand awareness, word of mouth, and more direct, more like brand name searches to, to your brand? What's been your experience? It's, uh, I mentioned earlier that we, we have a uh, head of PR and content starting in three weeks. And that, that, and that's a good, and that's a signal that, that we, we believe in the power of, of PR and, and content marketing. And we think those are, those two are, are joined closely at the hip, but, but overall PR has been 
very, very positive for us over the years. Uh, you mentioned some of the placements that we received, and and those placements have resulted in in direct traffic, the you know, revenue that we can clearly uh, tie to those those various events, um, and even even in the even when it comes to um, employ our employment brand, the one click employment brand here locally. We've we've had a number of placements and articles written uh, that's really helped us with recruiting. So uh, we, we will we will we have invested in PR in the past, and we will continue to invest PR in the future. Interesting. So interesting how PR you know um, works both from the back end, um, with acquiring you know um, resources and um, staff basically, and um, the front end, which is really acquiring customers. Okay. Right. Um, let's talk about word of mouth marketing um, and customer acquisition. Uh, are you? Do you have any experience with word of mouth marketing for your brand? Are you kind of um, encouraging existing customers to sort of spread the word and essentially advising them to to to, um, to to tell their friends or you know other people about them um, your, your your brand? Um, what's what does word of mouth marketing look like for for for, for your brand? This is an area that's been getting a lot of discussion internally over the past few months, and it's an area that we're going to focus on in 2016. Historically, we haven't, other than we, we think that the most valuable word of mouth tool for us is taking, taking excellent care of our customers, taking better care of our customers than any other retailer uh, can possibly do. So that's our that's our primary focus, and we feel like if we're executing well there and taking good care of our customers, that word of mouth, to some extent, will take care of itself. But the area where we haven't uh, done a very good job in the past and, and where we feel like we can improve is making it easy for customers that have it, have an amazing experience with our brands, to share the experience with their friends and family and you know possibly folks that are following them on Twitter or Facebook or what have you. So we're going to make it much easier in the future for customers to uh, share their positive experience with our brands, and uh, and that's definitely going to be something we focus on next year. Okay. Well, what what lever do you think you're going to sort of utilize email or um, social media or both to to get them to to share more? That's still to to be determined, but but email email will will, will certainly play a role. We we've talked about rolling out some sort of VIP or loyalty loyalty program and there, there may be a social uh, there may be a reward component as, as part of that loyalty program so we still have a lot of work to do and a lot of details to flush out internally but, but we're really excited about the opportunities that exist because this is an area that we just clearly have not paid close enough attention to um, over time. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally we hear from our customers that call in or email us that they've heard from a friend mm-hmm. um, but you know, we really need to add that reward component um, to the word of mouth so we can a help track it um, and b you know reward people for talking about us. Absolutely. Okay. 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 Um, let's talk about the the eyewear industry and in, in it and what's the size of the the eyewear industry and what part of um, the industry do you sort of capturing or targeting um, with your brand? So the, the the eyewear industry, is, as it as it pertains to, to frames, is mm. twenty five billion, and uh, around twenty billion of that is in the prescription space. 
about around four billion of that is in the sunglasses space, and then around a billion of that comes from reading glasses. Okay. 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 I so it's a it's a massive. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is per, per annum uh, that. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's the U.S. market. So that that uh, it's a massive market, and it gets much larger than that if you start looking at it on an international scale. Okay, and and I guess um, you know the premium side of each of these segments would, would take a small proportion and then there's a big long tail for for other players to to engage in 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 the, in the yeah in the market okay what about some um, pick periods in, in the eyewear industry um are they you know um are there any pick periods for obviously for for sunglasses it would be summer but um is for reading glasses and prescription glasses do you see a a steady churn um, all through the year, or um, are they picks and troughs in, from, from a demand perspective? So, uh, with, with sunglasses, we see a uh, we see a small spike around spring break, and then we see a larger spike during the uh, summer months. Mm-hmm. So, from um, in the U.S. from June until August, and then. With like with any retail business, there's there's certainly more activity around the holiday season. Okay, okay, okay. And then for for the prescription and the reading glasses, um, are they quite similar from from a trend perspective? Are there any picks and troughs, or um, is it pretty much steady? So we do sell reading sunglasses, and so we'll see um, a few, I guess, higher hills in the summertime and around the holidays for reading glasses, um, but it's not as quite as spiky as Sunglass Warehouse. Um, and then for prescription eyewear, we've only been doing it for a year, so so I, I don't know if we um, know the trends exactly, but from what we've heard from the industry, um, it goes a little bit quiet during the holidays okay. um, and then picks back up in January or so. Okay, speaking of prescription you know, um, glasses, what are your thoughts on Warby Parker? Well, just speaking Strictly in terms of you know Warby being a competitor, I mean we have a we have a ton of respect for for the for the brand that, that Warby's built and how they've gone about building that brand over the past five plus years. Mm. Because um you know, the the try before I think they they pioneered on the try before you you know you, you buy um experience basically in the prescription glasses um sector and um, sort of segment really and um, you know there, there, was a, there was quite a lot of friction in, in that um, space where you know people tried to off return in the high return rate um, even in the UK um, there's some online um, prescription glasses um, companies that um, have actually adopted their their method because they're not in, in the UK at the minute so from my, my question, I suppose, is how you intend to, to, to scale and grow Felix and Iris, um, looking at it from a brand perspective, because um, it's quite similar to, 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 to Warby Parker. The area where we feel like we are, are most different from, from Warby Parker mm-hmm. is the target audience. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we are, with, with Felix and Iris, the idea is that uh, the Gen X and Baby Boomer audience uh, has for the most part when it comes to prescription eyewear been ignored online mm-hmm. and and he, talking to our readers customers over the years and talking to other people in the market uh, it was clear that that there needed to be a brand that, that that really understands that that customer and that audience and can service them effectively and 
and we feel like with Felix and ours, we can do that. And we've built our selection and the shopping experience uh, around that customer. So, so we're really excited about the customer that we're, we're servicing, and we're really excited about how we're servicing that customer uh, with, with helping them make sure they find the right fit through a combination of our fit profile, our fit kit. Uh, so while there are some operational things that we're, we're doing uh, in a similar fashion to Warby, um, we think about the brand as being positioned much differently than, than Warby. So you're, you're more towards Gen X? Gen X, and, and, Gen X and baby boomers. Okay, and the baby boomers, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so you've really caught on segmented on, on that um, part of the market. To, to all your brands ship internationally, because I, I noticed Songlass Warehouse does, um, what what's um, what's your take on on international you know um, e-commerce and, and cross-border e-commerce so sunglass warehouse and readers.com both ship internationally okay um, we feel like it's a huge opportunity um, that we haven't spent a lot of time exploring um, so we've worked on making sure that our shipping is inexpensive um, we've shipped we've switched international shipping providers a few times to try to get the right fit for our customers but it's it's in, ter- in terms of marketing and advertising, it's not something that we've um, really invested in heavily. Um, so we feel, especially obviously, the English-speaking countries like Canada, Australia, and the UK um, are are really open markets for us, um, and something that we're we're considering um, in 2016. Been, but right now, it's about what's been the most interesting source of um, um, well, source of a sale um, from an international standpoint, or country. So Canada is our biggest market, um, probably because they're our next door neighbors. Um, and there's lots of like postal lockers and things scattered up um, along the the border between um, the UK or sorry, not the UK, the United States and Canada, yeah. um, where Canadian customers can you know use U.S. shipping and, and kind of ship it for free. Um, Australia is an interesting target because they have really generous tax and duty limits, um, and so we see a lot of a lot of volume for there from Australia as well. Interesting. Okay, I'm given the distance of Australia from, from the U.S. Okay, let, let's talk about retention. Um, how often do, do existing customers come to buy, um, you know, prescription sunglasses or you know, or, or prescription glasses or sunglasses from 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 your brand? Is is I guess my question really is um, is is retention? Um, do, do you have a high customer retention rate? Um, and um, what are you sort of tracking the the frequency of purchase from from um, your existing um, customers? Yeah, re- retention is something that we that we pay close attention to as a as a team, and uh, and, and we enjoy a, a what we consider a high repeat purchase rate on readers and. And our repeat purchase rate on sunglasses isn't nearly as high, and it's something that we're working hard to improve to better understand how we can be top of mind when customers uh, purchase that second or third pair of, of sunglasses. And for prescription eyewear, um, the, the purchase cycle is about two years, which seems excruciatingly long <laughs> um, since we won't this a year. Uh, so we're excited to see what our rate is once we hit that that two-year mark, um, but we, we've already enjoyed some repeat purchases, um, and, and we're kind of pleasantly surprised by that. That's quite interesting. Do you do anything to kind of remind, quote-unquote, um, remind your customers that, um, say, um, their prescriptions are going to 
well, they need to sort of um, retest, you know, just giving them notches, so, so to speak, um, via perhaps like email automation to to get them to get you top of mind again, you know. So if um, when they're the, when they're due to change it, and they get an email, is, is there any automation, you know, going on to to sort of um, you know help out your, your your retention efforts? Yeah, great, great question. So over the past year, we've we've talked a lot about one to one marketing and really driving toward a personalized communication strategy on the email side of, of the business. So uh, we've built out a number of custom automations for, for our customers, and we, uh, we're leveraging data to make some of those, to make a lot of those recommendations. So we moved from Bronto, which was our ESP for the past four, four years or so, okay. to uh, exact target or, or now it's a Salesforce marketing cloud at the beginning of the year. So now we've, we have more, uh, say more resources and functionality at our disposal to be, to be, to get a little more personalized and granular with our, with our email communication. And so, so I guess um, each customer sits as a contact in, in your CRM in, in, in exact target if that's the case and you probably have an order history for every one of your customers. Is, is that kind of like the picture there or? Correct. Okay, all right, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, what about customer lifetime value? How do you, I think one of the challenges with, um, with sort of calculating customer lifetime value is the time element, you know. Um, <laughs> the, the, the devil is in the detail and it's right in, in the word, you know, lifetime, you know. And um, so, so what, what about your, your time span? Um, what, what kind of figures do, do you put um, or do you use in the calculation of your lifetime value if you calculate, you know, customer lifetime value? We look at a number of different slices of, of LTV. Um, we, we look at two-year LTV all the way up to five-year LTV, but the, the, the number that we use most often, the term that we use most often to make, make marketing decisions is the three-year LTV. Okay, somewhere in the middle. Okay, okay. Is there a reason for that? Um, it just, just down to the fact that it's an average, or we've we've talked to some we've talked to some uh, folks in the industry. You know whether those are operators or investors, uh, and and that's the that's the that's the term that comes up most often. So okay. that's what we've settled on internally. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, right. Um, let's talk about the the company in itself um, from a culture standpoint. What 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 is it like working for One Click Ventures? Um, what's a typical day like for for um, for a member of staff? So we love the fact that all of our team members are in one building. Um, so we house everything um, from fulfillment to customer happiness to marketing, technology, finance, HR, all in one building. Um, we enjoy flexible work hours and a casual dress code. We have ping pong tables and free breakfast. We essentially want people to feel really comfortable so that they can focus all of their you know, mind share on um, great ideas and helping the company grow and helping our brands get better. So there's not a lot of, I guess, corporate rules that you might see in some larger companies, which I think is pretty typical for um, smaller startups, um, especially in the US. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK. Interesting. Um, yeah, sixty sounds like a you know good you know size, and um, you know if you've got really nice offices. I, I had a you know a few um, 
uh, you've got a really nice office space. I had a few, um, I had a look at um, your, your website. In, in the UK, um, yeah, the, the bigger it, it gets, you know, you know the, the stiffer it becomes. And, uh, I guess that applies throughout the world. Um, yeah, you, you were recognized as one of the best places to walk in Indiana for four years consecutively. Um, how did you manage to crack that and how... Well, what are your core values and how do your core values actually connect to, to, to that accolade? Yeah, we're, we're really proud of, of being named one of the best places to work in Indiana for four consecutive years. Um, what, what we're most proud of is that that's a, it's the, those, that award is based on anonymous team member feedback. So we're not holding a gun to anyone's head to uh, tell them what to fill out when those surveys come out. Um, the the I, I would say the most important ingredient to 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 becoming a best places to work and that's and that's nice for the team to celebrate and to put what we do as as a uh, as a company in perspective. But we're not focused on people and culture here to win awards. Uh, we we do it because we think it's the right way to do business and. Mm-hmm. And the way we've, the way Angie and I have approached building one click from the very beginning, uh, is to hire super talented people who are aligned around a common value set. Mm-hmm. And and then if you're over time, if you're able to hire, fire, and reward people based on that value set, it's 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 a pretty simple formula to follow. Unfortunately, a lot of companies. Get off track for for any number of reasons, but it's been a pretty simple formula for us, and it's and it's worked well. But it, it all starts with hiring the right people, and hiring people that are aligned uh, with your values and who are really company who are really committed to making the company uh, in themselves great. Mm-hmm. We have ten core values that we live and breathe by. Um, including open and effective communication, act like an owner, think big. Um, we really want to empower people to come in and make great decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can take on responsibility and have ownership over um, their daily work, but also understand how they're impacting the greater good of the company. Mm-hmm. I, like the, I like your values. Um, when did you start thinking about the core values? Um, when when was it important to, to start to empower your, um, your, your employees with, with these values? You know, start to, when, when do you start to think it's, you know, say, say what you were thinking pretty much to, at what size um, did you say, okay, right, we need to sort of set this in stone, these values um, in stone for, 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 for our employees? I can't remember the exact number of team members we had or the exact year but I but I want to say it was somewhere around 15 people okay. uh, 15 or 20 people where we said you know what we've we we live these values every day but they're not documented mm. so as a team we work together to document the values it was a total team effort you know it wasn't Angie and I hold up in an office somewhere saying oh what are our values it was I mean, we, we involved every single person in the company in that process at the time because we felt like it was important to to capture the the, the essence of one click, and that wasn't just with the way that Angie and I viewed one click. Now, just so happened that we were all clearly aligned, which you should be, uh, once that exercise uh, finished up. But yeah, I think it was around I think it was around fifteen or twenty people, and and you can do that at different times. I, I talked to other entrepreneurs and early stage 
company executives ask me about that from time to time, and I don't think you want to wait too late to do it because if you're not care if you're if you're if you're not careful, those uh, culture will will be defined for you. Mm. Uh, but I think as long as you as long as you're thinking about that and, and taking action on it between somewhere between team member number one and team member number fifty, uh, you're you're probably in pretty good shape. Right. Has culture been, been been a constant or has it evolved? I think there are things that are a constant and there are things that evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have team members that flow in and out of the organization. Um, and depending on where we are as a business, when we were a little bit younger, um, I think um, the culture may have been slightly different, but the essence has remained the same. Remain the same. Okay, right. Um, time for the evergreen um, questions. And um, first question has got to do with how you hire people. So we hire people um, based on our core values. Um, that's the number one um, important aspect of hiring people. So we like to joke around the office that we don't hire jerks, um, because the truth of the matter is we we don't. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really important um, for some positions to hire someone that's maybe really competitive or, um, you know, driven by numbers, but you don't have to hire a jerk for that position. Um, so if somebody is going to not fit with our core values or not fit with our team, no matter how talented they are, they don't get hired. Um, but also we like to hire really talented people. Um, they're going to add value to the organization. Um, and it's really important that we don't um, hire people that aren't going to fit in our culture. Um, so a small startup means that you're going to have a lot of responsibility. You're going to have to learn things on your own. You're going to have to contribute without being asked sometimes. Um, and someone that's really primed for a corporate environment where they're going to get all of their tasks handed down to them and they just wait to climb the corporate ladder, that type of person doesn't fit well here. So that's really important to us too. Okay, okay. All right. What about your three indispensable tools for managing one click ventures? Do you mean software tools? Um, It could be anything. Tools, um, it could be, yeah, software tools. Software tools. Uh, Well, I would say our email slash CRM platform is is critical. So Salesforce Marketing Cloud, um, the, uh, we we use a, we use a a software tool called Tiny Pulse that sends out weekly surveys to our team that, that helps us keep a pulse on team team member engagement, um, areas of areas of opportunity across the organization. So that that's a tool that we've uh, become pretty fond of over the, over the past two years. What do you think a third tool is? Uh, Tiny Pulse and Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Domo. Domo would be the third. So Domo is a business intelligence platform that has really transform the way that we look at data and the way that we use data internally. Okay, interesting. I've not heard of Dumbo or Tiny Paul, so definitely check it out. Okay. What's been your best mistake to date? And by that, I mean a setback that's giving you the best or biggest feedback. Yeah, I, I would say that the uh, there were a series of Google algorithm updates in, 20, in 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, and we had a couple of brands that were that were caught up in those updates, and um, and that was just a good learning experience for us because we we knew with we knew with Google Search the result there wasn't always black and white there was a lot of gray so it, it was a good reminder uh, for our team 
to, to A, we needed to diversify our revenue streams, which we, we, we have to a certain extent. And B, it was like, okay, well, we understand there's a lot of gray in, in how we manage Google search, but we need to make it very black and white internally, and, and we've done that uh, successfully. So that was a, that was a really good, there were some really good learnings around us, around those things uh, for the entire team here. Interesting. Okay. What one piece of advice can you give to mid-tier e-tailers seeking to grow rapidly? I think the one piece of advice is not to get ahead of yourself. Um, so there's a really fine line between um, growing and investing in your team for growth and waiting until you grow and then investing. Um, you have to find that right balance for you. Um, and a lot of that is defined on whether or not you're bootstrapped, whether profit is important, or whether you're just going for top line growth. So understanding what your goals are and then finding that, that really fine line um, between investment in your team and your, in your infrastructure um, and then or growing first and then investing, I think you have to find that right balance for you. That's, and that's, a, that's an excellent point, and, and that's different for everyone, right? Because some people may have X amount in, in institutional funding, and then someone like OneClick may be uh, taking a more self-funded approach. So everyone has different goals. Everyone has different um, capital needs. But whatever your goals and capital needs are, it's important to, uh, to make sure you're, you're making good decisions in terms of how the, how the team's built over time. It makes a lot of sense. Just um, yeah, being, being being realistic and on ground with with your situation. Okay, great. Um, final set of questions are: um, if you could choose a single book or resource that's made the highest impact on how you view building a business and growth, which would it be? Well, there's so many, so many good. Uh, I'm an avid business book, business and leadership book reader, so. There's so many good books to draw from here, but the, my favorite business book, uh, and I've read this in the past year, uh, is The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm. Uh, th- that, that particular book is, has, been, has been really helpful for me. Uh, I wish I would have read that. I wish that book would have been available five years ago because we, we may have avoided some of the mistakes that we've made over the past five years. But... Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely the uh, that's definitely my favorite business book of all time. I have it to my Kindle, but I have to admit I haven't read it yet. Okay, all right. How about you, Angie? Um, so I also love the hard thing about hard things. I think it's a great book. Um, but one of the books that I really love and I actually send to people as gifts all the time is Girl Boss. Um, it's the it's the nasty gal story, um, wow. and it it just really relates to. Um, I mean, obviously she's much bigger than we are, but. Um, it re- it really I related to the way that she bootstrapped her business and worked night and day to get something off the ground and had a vision that she was able to fulfill. Um, and I just I love that book. Gotcha. Hashtag girl girl boss. Okay, we'll we'll, sh- we'll yeah. link both um, we'll link both books in, in the show notes. Okay, right. Um, finally, if um, our audience would like to, to reach out to you guys, um, what's the best way to, to reach out to, to, to both of you, please? Um, well, I'm also, I'm always available over email. It's eng at oneclickventures.com. Um, but I spend a lot of time on Twitter as well, and my Twitter handle is Easterday77. Easterday77. I would definitely link that link for Randy. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, Randy at, at oneclickventures.com. Email address uh, can also be. I'm not as active on Twitter as 
as Angie is, but I can certainly be reached on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm always happy to, to connect and, uh, and really enjoy the, I've, I've followed the, I followed the, the two X e-commerce oh, thanks. now for the past couple of weeks. And I, I have gotten a tremendous amount of value out of the, the content. Oh, thank you. It's always good to get good feedback. Please leave us an iTunes review when you have a chance. Okay. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure having you both to the show. Wish you the best of luck with your new brand, um, Felix and Iris. And yeah, it's, I was really looking forward to this and it was really, really worth, well worth it. Okay. Thank you so much, Angie and Randy. Thank you. Thank, we really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. So thank you for sticking to the very end of today's show and hope you found Angie and Randy's story about One Click Ventures inspiring. To download the show notes and read the full transcript, head over to 2xecommerce.com about a week from the iTunes published date for updates and tips to help grow your store be sure to sign up to our email alert list um, over on 2xecommerce.com so until the next show 2xers do have a fantastic one see you later Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X eCommerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.